morning, friends. We begin, as we've already heard, this book of Jonah for the next four weeks. Uh, and I feel a weight, a heaviness around it because it is such a powerful book. Um, and so do jump in, read it at home on your own. If you think you're familiar with the story, may I suggest you might not be as familiar as you think. Uh, when I was at school, uh, one of the most devastating things was when it came to picking for the sports team. Anyone remember that? Where you picked for the sports team, and what would always happen is the same people would be picked first, and then always the same people would be picked last. And maybe even for some of us, we can still feel the shudder as we know that we will be the ones left till last. And as we begin this book of Jonah, that's an illustration. Because when it comes to who we think should be shown mercy and grace, who do we think should get it first? Who deserves it? And who comes last? Or who doesn't deserve it? That's a question right at the heart of the book of Jonah. Who do we think deserves God's grace and mercy? And who do we think doesn't? So do jump in with the series. There's loads of resources on our blog. Just go to the website, follow the links on the blog, and you'll see questions for the groups to do. I really encourage you to do those, and on your own as well. There's lots of extra reading if you'd find that useful. But we've called the series, What Are You Running From? And what was lovely last week, James Tomlinson, as he was leading the services, said, this book is not just for the children. Might I suggest it may not be for the children at all. We will see as we go through. But we'll see there's four main characters in this story, three of whom, in a sense, are all running from God, none of whom are the whale or the fish, whatever you want to say. Friends, if you get one thing in your head today, it's not about the whale. Let's go. So what kind of book is this as we jump in and as we read it over these next four weeks? Well, might I suggest that scholars, commentators, have different views because this book is actually pretty unique in the Bible. Now, as I say scholars have got different views, I'm not talking about those kind of people who pick and choose the bits that they want from the Bible, the bits that fit well with our contemporary life or whatever. Not that, no. I mean amongst scholars who really do hold the Bible dear and for whom the Bible is our authority amongst people who believe this is the very words of God and therefore it is the foundation for all life and faith. Amongst those scholars, there are two main ideas around this book. Some think this is a parable, just like Jesus told parables, out of which important lessons and truths came. And the reason some scholars think this is because it is unlike any other book in the Old Testament. It is about a prophet, but most other books about prophets are about what the prophet says. This is not about that at all. This is about the prophet. And the language, the way the book is written, the construction and all that is very different. It's almost cartoonesque, caricature. It's fantastic as a book. So some think it's a parable, whereas others think it is history. And there's plenty of good reason in the text to suggest that's the case too. And some people don't think it's history because they think it's a bit far-fetched to think that a person was swallowed by a whale and then spat back out. But might I suggest, friends, uh, that we follow a saviour who rose from the dead. Somebody can shatter death. A little fish is not a big deal. 
And others, you might think, well, I'm not sure if I go that far on the resurrection. I don't know if I believe in miracles. Might I suggest that even for those people who don't believe in God, we believe all this came from nothing? Talk about the greatest miracle of all. We all believe in miracles, friends, so let's not deny that. So whatever you think of this book, I veer towards the historical, but that's not perhaps the crucial thing. You'll discover that this book has a real sucker punch for all of us. We laugh at Jonah. We critique at Jonah. And then by the end, we realize we are Jonah. So let's introduce the four main characters for us this morning. First character, the opening words, is God. And we discover that you can run, but you can't hide from God. Listen again to those words that Steve read so beautifully for us. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And the very last words of the book, not going to give it away, are spoken by God. The opening words and the last words are by God. Friends, this book has God at its center. Whilst it's called Jonah, it's really about how Jonah relates to God. It's his word. But what's interesting, do you notice what Jonah does to God's word? He runs in the opposite direction. Now, let's, again, on the screen, you'll see these words. Uh, God says, go to the great city. A better translation is, arise and go. But then in verse 3, what happens? Jonah ran away. A better translation is, Jonah arose, Jonah arose and went. So God says, go, arise and go. Jonah arises and went in completely the opposite direction. Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. Tarshish is in modern-day Spain, completely the opposite direction. He's trying to run away from God. But do you notice who he is? He is a prophet. He is a holy man, a holy Joe. Crazy, really, because, of course, the question is, can you ever really run away from God if he's God? I mean, in verse 9, later on in the story, as Steve read it, did you catch it? After the sailors realize that this storm is as a result of Jonah, they ask who he is, and Jonah says these words. They're on the screen. Verse 9, at the bottom of that. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And I'm trying to run away from him. Friends, you can't run away from God. I remember when my son Noah was very little. We were playing those games with kids, hide and seek. And when you're little, you don't quite have that awareness of your body and your eyes and all that. And so children kind of think, as long as they can't see you, you can't see them. And so I remember this moment where Noah was sort of behind a curtain, and because he couldn't see his eyes, he could clearly see his body stood right there. But because he couldn't see me, he thought he was hidden. Or sometimes you see with children, come on, we're going to pray. And they go like this, don't they? And they put their hands over their eyes, thinking, I can't see you, so you can't see me. A bit like that. Jonah's trying to run away from God, but you can't. And friends, might I suggest this is a salutary word for for us today, we may run, but we cannot hide. There's a huge positive reality about that. God sees the things that have been done to you that no one else sees. Hallelujah. But it is also a challenge for some of us. 
for those of us who know deep down in our hearts we are running, trying to run away from God. And the beauty of Jonah, as we'll see, is there is always a chance to turn back. So God, who sees and he cares, as we'll see. That's the first main character. But then there are three others who, to varying degrees, are kind of running from God. The second is the city of Nineveh, modern-day Mosul in Iraq. Go to the great city of Nineveh, says God. But you notice what he says, and we don't like this, do we? Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. We don't like that. We're not comfortable with that. We would say, go and befriend Nineveh with the hope that they might one day see your good lives and want to know about how wonderful your God is. Wouldn't we? But friends, when the first readers heard that word Nineveh, they wouldn't think, ah, let's go and befriend it. Nineveh was the enemy to get a sense of the emotional force for those first readers. Think Berlin in the late 1930s. Imagine saying to a Jewish person in 1939, go to Berlin and befriend the Nazis with the hope that they might see your good deeds and one day want to know how wonderful your God is. That's the force here. Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire, in some respects we should think the Nazis of the ancient world. They were known, if I can be graphic, they were known for skinning their enemies alive. They were known for impaling people from between their legs up through their mouths when they raided cities. These are not fluffy people, friends. And so if you were in the ancient world, you would have no problem with Jonah being told, go to Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness. None at all. And at this point, you'd be cheering. Yeah, get them, Jonah. Come on, God. Woohoo! Let's slay those enemies. But that's the beauty of this book. We're meant to be saying, go get them, God. But as the book goes on, we see why God wants Jonah to preach. Not to condemn, but so that they might repent and change their ways and turn to God. As God says in the very last verses of, these book, of this book, the verse that we've got on the wall behind me, God says, should I not be concerned about that great city, the city you hate? And it's a question that lingers long as we think, who are our enemies? The people that we do not want, if we're honest, to turn to God. The people that we want to get their comeuppance. God says, should I not be concerned about that great city? Church is often known, isn't it, for, for tending to do one of two things. Either for excusing wrong behavior because of caring for people, or for condemning wrong behavior and not caring for people. God wants Nineveh to turn back to him because he cares. So that's the second character, Nineveh. The third character are sailors. Now, did you notice Alice and I have both got our navy tops on this morning? We thought the theme of Jonah wasn't there. We didn't have a conversation beforehand. But here you've got a group of people 
who are changed by their encounter with God. For the ancient people of God, they would have grown up knowing that the people that didn't follow their God were enemies. And so you treat the other nations as the enemy, as against God, or at least as inferior to us, God's chosen people. And so Jonah's running away from God, gets on a boat, the storm rises, and then we meet the sailors and the captain of the ship. Listen again to what was read to us. Then the Lord sent a great wind, verse 4, on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Uh, and then later on, verse 6, the captain goes to Jonah, saying, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice so that we will not perish. Do you see? These sailors are kind of just your working people. They're not particularly religious. They'll just do whichever God that works. You try yours. You try yours. You try yours. You're not praying. Come on, at least try something. They're not bothered. Just try the one that works. We've tried all these five. They didn't try yours. That's the kind of vibe here. They try whichever God that works. But something remarkable happens to these sailors. Because the captain urges Jonah to do the same. Because you never know. His might work, unlike the others. And then we read these words. Do you notice in verse 5? All the sailors were afraid. They're afraid because of the storm. These are hardened sailors. This is a big deal. And then in verse 7 to 10, they're still afraid. Look on the screen. Come, let's try and find cast lots to see whose fault it is. The prayers haven't worked. Come on, there's got to be someone. And the lot fell on Jonah. And then they say, what's, what's the deal here? Who are you? Where do you come from? What work are you doing? What's, what's the problem as to why we're suffering this stuff? And he says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And look at what their response is. This terrified them. So they're terrified because of the storm. But now they're terrified because this guy on their boat has offended the God that owns the sea. That's a problem for them. It's fine if you offend the God that over there that kind of likes the sun or whatever. But this one, the Lord of the sea and the dry land, that's a big problem for them. They're terrified. This is the God that's got their boat in his hands. Wow, oh dear, what do we do now? So they throw Jonah overboard, but I love it because they try to do the right thing. Please don't hold us accountable for him. We just want to be out of this. And then look at what happens, verse 15 and 16 on the screen. The end of that bit. They took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. You see? Starting out, they're afraid of the storm. Then they're afraid that maybe they've offended somehow because this guy on board, the God who is in control of the sea. And then when they see the power of this God who calms the storm, then finally they're now terrified of this God. In fact, terrified is not the right word. That word, they feared the Lord, is actually more about awe. Oh, wow. He's the real deal. And you see what's happened? These guys are just ordinary people finding their way in life, trying to work out what's right, and they come face to face with the God of the universe. 
Might I encourage you? Whether you're here in the room, you're joining us online, I guess there's many of us who don't think of ourselves as church people. We don't feel we fit in. We don't pray all the right words. We get our words jumbled up. Not quite sure we dress in the right way. Don't know our Bibles back to front. We're not sure and we wonder if someday someone might find us out. I think we take huge encouragement from these sailors. They're just trying to find their way and they come face to face with God and say, okay, it's you. And so what's their response? They offer a sacrifice to the Lord and make vows to him. He's the one, I want to follow you. I love that. In fact, as we'll see in a moment, sometimes thinking that you are the right kind of person for God is a big problem. So that's the third group, sailors. They've seen God, the character over it all. Nineveh, this city, sailors who changed by a real encounter with the real God. And then finally, we come face to face with Jonah, who might I suggest is running away from who God really is. The power of this book, friends, is that we start off criticizing Jonah and then by the end realize we are Jonah. We understand at the beginning why we think Jonah is running. All the children's books, if you've been around church, tell us. Jonah, in a sense, runs away from God. But we think he's running away from fear, don't we? That's what all the children's books tell us. Go and preach against Nineveh. Jonah runs in the opposite direction. Why wouldn't you? You're going to be told to go to Berlin in the 1930s? No way. That's how children's books have it. And it's an inspiring story, isn't it? Overcome your fear to fulfill God's calling in your life. And you never know what God will do through you. What a great story for life. Friends, that isn't the story of Jonah. I love, I was looking through. Here is Jonah, first word, heroes. Let me read you the story of Jonah according to this book. Not, well, I am critiquing. I was going to say I'm not critiquing. I am, but you'll see why. <laughs> God told Jonah to go to a big bad city called Nineveh. He had a message for them. God said, go, but Jonah said no. He ran away and sailed on a ship. God sent a huge storm. The sailors were afraid. Jonah told them, throw me into the sea, then the storm will stop. Jonah fell, splash, into the sea. A big fish swallowed him in one gulp. It was dark inside the fish. Jonah prayed to God. God heard him, spoke to the fish, and burp, Jonah was back on dry land. Again, God said, go. Jonah said, yes. And Nineveh became a good city. End of the series. Boom. Close up and go. We presume that Jonah is running out of fear. And this is an inspiring story to encourage us to overcome our fear. Because Jonah is introduced as God's man. He's a prophet. And in two kings, he is a prophet who speaks the right things. The king obeys him. He's a good man. He's a man who's got the ears of king, a successful Christian leader. Holy Joe. Yeah, he's the hero, isn't he? But the problem is he's running. But do you notice something? Jonah ran away from the Lord. Literally, if you were to read what that phrase says in the original, it is Jonah ran away from the face of the Lord. In chapter 4, we discover the real reason why Jonah 
is running. Let me read to you. This is a bit of a spoiler alert, but it helps make sense of the whole book. Chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah says this to God. That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. We think he's running because he's worried that Nineveh won't repent and therefore kill him. In reality, he's running because he knows he's worried that Nineveh might repent and God would forgive them. He cannot stand the idea that Nineveh might be forgiven by God. He's running from God's grace and mercy. Friends, might I suggest we all love grace and mercy when we need it. But when we have to extend the same grace and mercy to other people that have offended us, quite quick to want God to get get their comeuppance. I remember in a previous church, we were doing a course like Alpha Course. woman really interested in Christianity, really became convinced of who Jesus was, And I remember the moment when she began to realize that what the good news of Jesus really meant was that all of what she'd been living for, all that success, all that good behavior, all that of doing well in life meant nothing. And actually, it's all about grace and mercy. So friends, that's the question in this book. Who do you think Who do you hope doesn't get God's mercy? Who won't you extend mercy to? Jonah is you and me. Church people who are quick to want grace and mercy for ourselves and slow to extend it to anyone else. People who don't like people correcting our actions are quick to correct others. And it's no surprise that what does it take to shatter those delusions? A storm of life, as we'll see next week. Some of us, if we are honest, are followers of Jesus, but know our hearts have grown very cold to God's amazing grace and mercy. How do we know that? Because we're quick to critique We're quick to judge. We're quick to look at others and how bad or inappropriate they are. So as I close, what's the solution to running away from God? How is this all resolved? Well, over the few weeks, we'll see. But, spoiler alert, do you notice what happens when Jonah is thrown in the sea? Let me read again. They took Jonah, verse 15, and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. What was the solution for those people needing a rescue? Someone taking their place, a substitute for them, for their salvation. So whoever it is, whichever group you slightly hope Don't get God's mercy. Whatever side of the political spectrum, whatever side of society, whatever, 
Who are those people you're quick to critique? Remember that God himself stepped in, gave his son as that substitute so that we all might be saved. Friends, this book of Jonah is about us. So let's press into it and ask God, please break our hearts for the city we find ourselves in, for the people we find living amongst us, and break our hearts for our 